Welcome to Biohackers Lab, a place where we talk to smart people who are figuring out how to improve health in interesting ways. Join us to discover how you can biohack your life, your body, starting today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Biohackers Lab. I'm your host, Gary Kerwin, and on today's episode, I have Dr. Travis Ziegler. Dr. Travis qualified from the Ohio State University College of Optometry with magna cum laude honors in 2010. He specializes in difficult-to-fit contact lenses and is a fellow of the Sclera Lens Society. He also started iLove, an eye wellness company with a mission to end preventable blindness. Hi, Travis. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Gary. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Sure. So I want to start first. When I was um, doing some of my research um, on your website, I think I saw somewhere that you have a mission to to, um, help 80% of worldwide vision problems that are avoidable. Is that right? Yeah. So... Our mission, like you said earlier, is to end preventable blindness. And there are 700 million people blind in this world due to lack of glasses. And so a simple pair of reading glasses that you and I take advantage of um, or take for granted, and we can go buy these in like a Dollar General or a Walmart, or I'm not really sure what the stores are over in the UK, but um, just a simple store that you can go into, pay a dollar and get a pair of reading glasses those can actually solve quite a bit of the world's blindness, which is just a lack of glasses and a lack of the ability to read, which affects everybody over the age of 40. So our goal is to conquer that first in Jamaica. And then after we figure out the the program in Jamaica, then we can bring this to other countries around the world. Okay. So I guess that's already got me thinking straight away. So do most people after the age of 40 need to wear a pair of glasses to some degree, or they're going to have deterioration in their vision? Yeah, so after the age of about 40 years old, we lose the ability to bend the lens inside our eye, and we bend the lens inside our eye to read. And everybody does this. We it's, it's a process called focusing or accommodating. We relax our eye when we look far away, and we mm-hmm. focus our eye when we're seeing up close. And so after the age of 40, everybody starts to lose that ability to, to bend that lens to relax far away and, and focus up close. So we, you hear people getting their first pair of reading glasses when they're in their 40s, or they get their first pair of bifocals in their 40s. And so that's the reason is the lens inside our eye isn't as bendable as it used to be. It's not as flexible. And this is just a process that starts at the age of six. And it's where we add layer upon layer to your lens every day of our lives. So it's something that is very natural and it happens, but it causes problems in the 40s. And when you don't know that part of the equation that it's natural, you're thinking that you're probably going blind when you have no access to education or healthcare or glasses, when really all you need is a pair of reading glasses. And so that's kind of the process behind going needing glasses when you hit the age of 40. Okay. And so just someone who doesn't know their anatomy of the eye, how, where in relation to what someone can see on someone's eye, where is the lens part? So the lens is right behind the color part of your eyes. So when you're looking at somebody and you see the brown or blue, right behind that is the lens. And so it's just a, it's a thick structure that if a person has a bad enough cataract, you can actually see the lens. It looks like a cloudy kind of white yellowish opacity. Mm-hmm. And so to, to take that a little further, after your 40s and 50s into your 60s, 70s and 80s, that lens starts to cloud and that's what a cataract is. And so that's another natural part of the aging process. And everybody, if they live long enough, will get a cataract as of right now. But there are things going into those studies as well that 
maybe cataracts won't exist in the future and maybe reading glasses won't need to exist either because we may solve the focusing issue too. So with this focusing issue that you're mentioning, is, are there, because there's loads of muscles around the eye, is this, yep. is there also muscles that must go around the lens then that help with the focus part, is it? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so there's, there's muscles that completely surround 360 degrees around the lens and those muscles are responsible for making the lens bend and then relaxing the lens as well. And those muscles are still fine. It's just a matter of they, the, the tissue itself that it's bending isn't as flexible uh-huh. as it is when you were six years old. So in your 30s, you probably realize that you're not able to flex the lens as well as you could in your 20s. And what that's going to appear to you as is you just can't focus as well. So the, what used to be crystal clear 20 years ago isn't as crystal clear because you can't focus your eye as well. Okay, yeah. And um, it's already got me thinking there. You, I'm sure people, this is where the science must be going as to how, what can we do to keep the lens as bendable as long as possible? Exactly, yeah. So there's, I don't think there's any human studies yet. I know they're doing some studies in dogs and the dog trials they're doing are drops. So you put this eye drop in and it keeps the, the lens of your eye bendable. And then it also prevents a cataract. So those are the drop studies that are going on right now. How far along they are, I don't really know because there hasn't been much published on it. But I know there is some research going on in preventing cataracts and preventing this reading problem. And it would be a billion-dollar industry because you would essentially eradicate the need for bifocals and progressives and reading glasses. So maybe there's also a counterforce of the glasses and lens companies are fighting that because, you know, they don't want it to come out. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine that's, that is a monster of an industry. I thought pharma was big, but I'm sure the lens industry must be pretty big itself. Owned by one player pretty much. So it's, uh, it's pretty massive. Wow, really? Is that some of the, uh, the policy or the, the money behind it that there's only one big sort of company? Or... Yeah, so there's a, one large company based in the U.S., kind of. They're called Essler, and they own most of the lenses that are produced around the world. And then they're owned by a frame company called Luxottica, who owns like 80% of the frame market, and they're based in Italy. Wow. So it's a, it's a massive market that they have. So, they, yeah, they've kind of captured the lens and then captured the frame markets. Exactly, yep. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and if, if, if somebody gets in their way, they just buy them. <laughs> yeah, well, they've got that, probably that much. That it's easier just to buy them off, so. Yeah. Um, so, with the you mentioned cataracts, um, I've got some other questions. But um, with already with this, uh, my mom likes listening to my podcast, and she's had to have her cataract <laughs> sorted. And we lived in Africa, in South Africa, and it's quite prevalent in sunny places. But is it the sun that helps to develop cataracts faster? So, is it people who live at certain latitudes in the world um, where it tends to be more sunny? Are they more prone to cataracts? Yeah, and so the more sunshine you get in your area, the, of course, higher prevalence you're going to have to cataracts. And so I live in South Carolina now, which is in the southern half of the United States. And I grew up in Ohio, which is in the northern half of the United States. And the cataract rate, it's the same in both areas, but they occur faster where I live now due to the sunlight that we have. It's, It's constantly cloudy in Ohio and where, where I live now, it's constantly sunny. And so that, that sun exposure all the time leads to more accelerated cataracts. And another thing is I, I live in a very blue collar area, meaning it's a lot of people that work hard with their hands and there's a lot of welders in my area. 
welder welding actually has a high amount of UV light. And so my welders, I usually send for cataract surgery in their 40s because they're constantly exposed all day long for eight hours a day to this welding, which is UV light, high amounts of it. Even though they have protection on, they sometimes don't get it down in time and they're exposed to it for years. And so we see it at a younger age down where I am now. And the closer you get to the equator, you're going to see them at a younger and younger age. So sunlight and UV light has something to do with it, but there are other factors as well. My diabetic patients also get them a little sooner, and that's just because the healthier you are overall, the better your eyes are going to be, which means you'll kind of fight off cataract formation more if you eat healthier. And so that's, that kind of goes with everything, though, with, with, our, with our bodies. Yeah. So that, you know, that's already another question probably people want to ask. Especially with this podcast, I've talked to a lot of um, nutritionists, dietitians, and doctors about different forms of eating. Um, but you would say that what you eat can influence the health of your eyes. Oh, yeah, of course. The eyes are pretty much the window to everything. And so the nice thing about the reason we tell people to get a dilated eye exam every year is because when I look into the back of your eye, I see live blood vessels. I see a live optic nerve. The nerve is connected to your brain. So I can detect high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol. I've actually had I've sent patients out for um, MRIs and they've had brain tumors just from something I saw in the eye. And so the eye can pretty much see or we can see how your body is and how your body responds to what you're doing with your life pretty much by just looking in the back of your eye. And I always recommend if you're going to, if, if you want to eat healthy to keep your eye healthy, leafy green vegetables, number one thing you can do. Spinach, kale are our two main go-tos and you just can't beat the, the lutein and just the phytochemicals that are in spinach and kale, which are little scrubbers that get out free radicals throughout your whole body. And they're really great for your eyes. Okay. And so that you've already said one of the magic words was this lutein and mm-hmm. a lot of people supplement with that. Do you think it's worth it? Not worth it? These sort of eye supplements? So I always recommend that a supplement is a supplement for a reason. It should supplement a healthy diet, meaning you should eat healthy first. You should get the lutein in your diet and you should get all the vitamins like A, C and E and D in your diet first. And then if you can't get all that, that's when you use a supplement. So I do recommend supplementation, but I always recommend healthy diet first. Unfortunately, where I live in America, they don't like change. We don't like change. So (laughs) getting somebody to change their diet is very hard. Getting somebody to take a supplement is so much easier. So change your diet first and then supplement after that. If you don't want to change your diet, I'm sorry, but you can take a supplement, but I'm sorry you won't change your diet. But it's always best to, to have your diet in place before you supplement. But yeah, I do recommend lutein supplements. Okay. And is there any specific dosage that people need to look at to get a clinical benefit? Uh, usually around, I can't say exactly. The studies are kind of all over the place, but I usually go 2 to 10 milligrams. Okay. All right. Because, yeah, you know, a lot of people love taking supplements. But uh, I always say if you're going to take a supplement too, try and do the research to find out what the clinical dose is. So you don't want to take something that's too weak or, you know, too much. You there's typically a range that's going to give you the best benefit. So it's good. That's good information to know. Yeah, there, there's also two other. There's called um, zeaxanthin and astaxanthin. There are other, two other good ones that are phytochemicals that are good for your body, getting rid of free radicals and everything. We actually do sell an ocular health formula that has lutein, zeaxanthin, and astaxanthin in it. And so 
yeah, we, we made that based on some research that was done here in the United States. And it was actually an international study, but it was put on by the National Institute of Health. And so that's what we based our supplement around was that study. Okay. Well, I'll link to that in the, the show notes for you too, for people listening. And with the, when you were mentioning how when you dilate the eye and you get to see the, um, the back of the eye, um, that you can potentially pick up other conditions. Something else that a lot of people have talked about is using light to actually look for adrenal fatigue or when you're tired. So it's the dilation and the constriction of your, your pupil. And that if you, if, have you ever come across this? I have not. So that, that's something that, that's actually interested me and I'm kind of studying that more in 2018 because I have a thyroid issue. And so a lot of people think that adrenal fatigue and thyroid are connected. So that's actually something I'll be exploring more. But as far as adrenal fatigue in the eye, I don't know much about that. Okay, Other yeah. than adrenaline does dilate your pupil. So that's the only thing that would would I could tie the two together. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's, you, you enjoy that rabbit hole about using light to be able to sort of see the response. And if you get an abnormal response, then it's an indicator for something to investigate further. That was actually something we were never taught as far as if we see a pupillary problem or a problem with the pupil constriction or dilation that we should look for adrenal fatigue because that's just not something that was ever brought up. So when I see a pupil problem, I usually think neurological mm. or something's gone on there. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to, to look into that a little bit more. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what are some of the other, we, we've mentioned cataracts and, and natural vision loss as we age, but um, are there any other big name sort of conditions that are common that happen with the eye that people should maybe be aware of? Yeah, so the the big ones that the one that we kind of obsess over my wife and I are, is dry eye, dry eye and a condition called blepharitis, which are kind of tied hand in hand. Blepharitis, the blephora is your eyelid, and anything with an itis on the end just means inflammation of. So it's an inflammation of the eyelids, which in turn causes dry eye, and that's what we've kind of built our whole company I love around was just. We started educating people when we were in practice about dry eye and blepharitis, and we did this online, and they started coming to us with problems of products that they wanted. So we just created this whole company around how can we fix this, and we just provide content on dry eye. And so dry eye is probably one of the biggest underdiagnosed and kind of thrown under the bus problems in the world today because most doctors, unfortunately, just tell you to throw an artificial tear on it. And they just kind of say, and, and go on your way. Mm. And my, my wife and I took a different approach to that. So an artificial tear just covers up a problem. It just pretty much treats a symptom of dryness. And so what my wife and I decided to do is we treat dry eye as a symptom to an overall inflammation of your body. And we also treat like high blood pressure and diabetes as a symptom. And if you think about all these diseases as symptoms rather than diseases and look at your body as a whole, you'll see that your body's inflamed due to your diet, due to the lack of exercise, due to lack of water or hydration. And we focus on fixing that for our patients and, and our customers online. And we teach them that through getting hydration, through exercising, changing your diet to fix the underlying problem rather than just covering it up with the medications that Big Pharma wants you to push and the drops that Big Pharma wants you to, to push. And I think dry eye is one of the biggest ones that goes under, underdiagnosed and it, again, it just gets shoved under the bus from practitioners all over the world. Okay. So what are some of the symptoms people need to watch out for with that? 
So dry eye and blepharitis. Blepharitis is your eyelids. So red inflamed eyelids. This is, is going to be the upper or lower eyelid. Upper and lower eyelid. Okay. Yep, you got it. And so, if those aren't working well, that's going to cause your eye to feel a little dry too, because you have oil glands that are in your eyelid, and those oil glands produce oil that then goes out onto your eye, that then keeps your eye comfortable. So if your eyelid's inflamed and not working properly, therefore your eye isn't going to feel as good and you're going to feel gritty, you're going to feel itchy, you're going to feel dry, feel like you have sand or grit in your eyes. Mm. Um, your eye is actually going to water more when you have dry eye than if you weren't to have dry eye. And so there's th those are kind of the mainstay symptoms that we notice in our clinic. Okay. Yeah, I mean, especially that one where you might feel it's a little bit scratchy or um, you just want to rub your eye. And, but that's already potentially starting. And then, so you're saying if it's underdiagnosed, is, what is the diagnostic process? Like how, how <laughs> is it actually meant to be diagnosed? So that's the thing is that there's no, dry eye is something that's relatively new. It's not new, but it's relatively new as far as having technology to diagnose it properly. And treatments are newer and we're just starting to notice it more. We're asking better questions as doctors, most of us are. And that's why we're starting to see it more. And that's why more research is going into it. You're starting to see dry eye centers pop up all over the world just because we're starting to pay more attention to it because it is a, it is a real problem. And with our aging population, it's becoming more and more of a problem because we're living longer. And so there's going to be more dry eye out there. And so there are tests out there. I base my diagnosis all on symptoms. And so symptoms that the patient has and then signs that I see when I'm examining examining them under a microscope but there are other diagnostic technologies out there now that help they just kind of map your eyelids as far as looking at the glands to make sure they're all working properly we can now measure the salt of the tear film and if the tears are salty that's going to that's a more dry eye environment and so we have to get it more to a more balanced level and so those are two diagnostic tests but there are more and more diagnostic tests coming out but i do mine off of symptoms and signs especially when I'm online. So if I'm helping somebody online, it's got to be on signs or symptoms mm -hmm. mainly and just their history as well. Yeah. So it's not as if the, the person's going to actually see this red puffy eyelid. It doesn't get that inflamed. If it's really inflamed, it can. Um, but for the most part, they, they, they will have a little redness occasionally. But as far as dry eye is concerned, You've probably seen somebody with a red eye before, and that's usually due to inflammation on the, the surface of the eye, which is usually caused from dry eye. And so that's usually a more severe case, though. Okay. And is it transient? So does it come and go? Or once you have dry eye, even it's going to just stay there? Yeah, so dry eye is usually a, a chronic condition, meaning that it's going to be there, and you will have flare-ups here and there. Now, like I was going back to before, my wife and I focus on trying to fix the problem rather than just covering it up. So I believe that dry eye is reversible if you figure out what's causing it. And so it could be most likely it's, it's a food allergy that's causing it. And so if you, you change your diet around not eating that food allergy, then usually you can fix whatever problem you're having. An example I like to give is my wife and I eat vegetarian, dairy-free, gluten-free. And so no processed sugars, we eat pretty clean. And it's funny because two days ago, we were at Starbucks and I ordered a drink and I forgot to ask for it to be dairy free. And they put dairy in it and I drank it. And now my eyelids, I'll take my glasses off for your viewers on YouTube. You can see. Right. I'm puffy about it. Yep. 
And that's all just from my diet. And so that's from eating dairy and or drinking dairy. And instantly I reacted like this. So once you start finding what you're allergic to, and it may not be what you think, you may not have a, a shirt telltale sign like I do. Mm. Um, it could be something simple like eczema, which is dry skin, could be dandruff, like just flakes in your hair. That can all be a sign of a food allergy that you have. And I actually wrote, I, I was writing a big series of blog posts about how you can change your diet to help with this. And I did a very cookie cutter approach. The blog post ended up being about 55 pages. And so I ended up just making it into a book called Rethinking Dry Eye Treatment. And that's on Amazon. And in this book, you can pretty much take out the dry eye part of the title. So Rethinking Dry Eye Treatment, and you can replace it with any disease. And it's a very cookie cutter approach to changing your diet around to help pretty much solve any or cure any disease just by changing your diet. Now, if your listeners or viewers are already at that step where they eat pretty healthy, the next step would be taking like a food sensitivity test where you would find exactly what you're, you're allergic to and avoid that at all costs. And you can usually reverse these diseases like psoriasis and eczema and, you know, Crohn's disease, any autoimmune condition just by finding out what you're allergic to and avoiding it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I always like to say to people, you know, the, the, the biggest chemical you're going to take every day is food. It's, it's a chronic chemical. So you have to keep ingesting the stuff and you get to decide what chemical that's going to be. So um, experimenting with diet is the biggest thing you can do in your life, I, I believe. 100% agree. And I always tell people, what is the biggest thing you invest in? And they always tell me, you know, like this stock or that stock or this mm. mutual fund or that mutual fund. And I say, no, you need to invest in your body. You need to invest in the organic foods that are over there. You don't eat foods that are ridden with pesticides or GMO foods. And the biggest investment you can do that has the biggest return is what you put in your body. Mm -hmm. So we were um, talking about glasses earlier on. And um, that's what I want to get into a little bit next if we can is um, eye health in the modern world. And that the, like we're both talking on Skype right now and we're um, looking at a computer screen. And it's nighttime for me too, and I've got this bulb that's shining on me. <laughs> and uh, so I, I do really believe in um, trying to minimize my exposure to artificial blue light wave because of what it does to the retina and the health there and your circadian rhythms and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, what's the view in the optometry world with blue light exposure at the moment? Yeah, so it's funny because I'll, I'll give you the sexy side of blue light and then the unsexy side of blue light. And the sexy side right now is what everybody's talking about. The blue light exposure from our screens, messing with our circadian rhythms. I listened to your interview. Um, I'm not even going to try to pronounce her name, but she talked about the circadian rhythms and everything. She's getting her PhD in it. Yes, and yeah. great, great interview, by the way. And um, that's kind of the sexy side of blue light. Everybody's talking about that. That is why you're wearing your blue blockers at 630 over there right mm -hmm. now. And so you probably put those on around 6 p.m. to help put you into a nice sleep state. And then what that what his what your glasses are, they're 100 percent blue light blocking. And so the sun creates this blue light and that's how you see the color blue. So it's a very natural light. So when the sun comes up, it tells our body to wake up and that's the blue light telling us to wake up. It's decreasing our melatonin production and it's telling us to wake up when the sun goes down. Blue light's gone. Therefore, we our body produces melatonin. And then it tells us to go to sleep. And so that's a very natural circadian rhythm. And what the problem is, is at nighttime, 
we're on our computers, we're on our phones, we're on our TVs, and that's that's putting out blue light towards us. And and if we don't block it, and then also the the lights, the new lights that are out there, the daylight lights, those are also producing too much blue light. And so you're never telling your body to go to sleep. And so what's happening is if you're on your phone right before you go to bed, you're never producing that melatonin. So you don't get into that deep REM sleep and that deep sleep that your body needs to restore itself. So I always challenge, and I'll challenge your listeners too, try seven days of turning your cell phone off at 7 p.m. every night. Turn your TV off, turn your computer off, read a book with pages, and just try to really wind down the night slowly. And wear blue blockers if you have them, the 100% that you have on. And what you'll notice is when you wake up in the morning, you're going to be a lot more rested than if you didn't do that. Am I perfect? Heck no, I'm not perfect. I, I still am on my phone late at night and computer and TV, and I try to avoid it. I try to stop, but there's just the occasion that you just can't. And so that's kind of the sexy side of blue light that we're, we're talking about right now. And, and with your biohackers podcast, that's what we see more is our screens, our digital devices all have this blue light. So we're going to block it with glasses. So you have your 100% on for nighttime. I have my 30% on for when I'm doing work during the day, mainly because mm-hmm. I don't want to go to sleep quite yet. And I still want some of that blue light to come through. And so I mainly wear these for fatigue because they block glare. Now, the unsexy side that nobody talks about that optometry talks about pretty much exclusively is macular degeneration. Mm -hmm. So macular degeneration is where the macula, which is your your central vision, that's where all lights focused. That's how you see 2020. And macular degeneration is just a degeneration of that area. And so studies from the, I I needed to look up the year of it, but either from the 70s or 80s showed that blue light can cause or increase the prevalence of macular degeneration. And so that was before screens existed. And so the scary part of this now is if they did this study back in the 70s, 80s, or whenever they did it, and they found that blue light caused macular degeneration, and they weren't on phones and computers and TVs, and now we are all the time, I'm scared for our generation and the generation below me. And I'm, I'm interested to see how much more macular degeneration they're going to have. And then our generation is going to live to be another 20 to 30 years older. And so that aging on top of the increased blue light, it's, it's very interesting to see, or it's not going to be good, but I'm just curious as to what's going to happen in the future. And that's the optometry side. That's why we want to block blue light. So do you, do you think then, because I, I do the same, um, I've actually got blue light blocking um, software. That's another podcast. I'll give you, I, you'll probably like the software. I'm going to, I'll send you a link to Daniel's uh, Iris and, um, so I, I purposely always make sure that I use that to minimize some of the, the blue effect because of the glare from the screen. But um, I also have a pair of um, lighter yellow glasses that I do wear when I'm working on the computer during the day because, yeah, it might be daytime outside, but the, the, this blue light is in, is can be way more intense um, and st- stressful in my eyes. And I always just thought it's, yeah, it's going to be healthier for my, my re- you know, global eye health that I'm not overexposing my eyes. And funny enough, I did a 23andMe test. Do you know those DNA tests? Um, they're like the swab? Yeah, I think this one, you still you just spit into a tube and then you send it off. I did it years ago. But this is back um, when you could get a lot more health results from them. And they said that uh, genetically I might have a higher prevalence for macular degeneration than the general population from a DNA point of view. So it was kind of taking that information and just thinking, well, I I, I do use a lot of modern devices, so one of the ways I can mitigate and tr- hopefully keep my eyes healthy as I age is even just wearing a pair of blue blocking glasses or 
using blue light blocking um, software. Do you think that's a good idea? You know, as yeah, particularly yeah, for our yeah. generation, which is getting more exposure. Yeah, so I think you're doing the right thing by by using a lighter pair, just like I am at, at during the day, and then using your darker pair at night using that app. Um, but when you're outside, you don't need to worry about it as much because that's still mm. a very natural form of blue light. So when you're outside, I wouldn't worry about blocking it too much. So I wouldn't wear those if you're going out, you know, during the day or anything like that. And that's that's just my opinion. And I think that's the best way to do it is just like anything in life, the more natural the the thing is, the better. So going back to what we talked about with supplements, it is good to take a lutein supplement, but it's just it's it's better to eat the natural form of spinach and kale. Same thing with this. It is blue light is harmful, but it's not at the same time. You still need it. And so getting the natural form of it from the sun is going to be a lot better than getting it from your computer screen or your phone. But blocking it like you are is the way to go. And if I were you, I would add spinach to my daily diet. I'd put it in a green smoothie and eat it every single day. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll need to, I'm going through a current uh, dietary experiment, so maybe I'll, I'll add that into into my to-do list. Um, I, w- I wouldn't try kale. Kale's a little tough, but <laughs> I, I still I still choke down kale. Okay. Yeah, and I, I like that point that you mentioned. Um, yeah, don't wear blue blocking glasses outside during the di- daylight. Cause, um, but, but that actually, it's funny you brought that up because years ago in the 80s, blue blockers were sold to do that, weren't they? They were, yeah. I think... Yeah. You know, I, I I was born in the 80s, so I don't really know why. I think it was more of just a cool factor. People just, somebody wore them. I don't know who did, an influencer of some kind of celebrity, and they just took off. And so that's they're kind of making a comeback right now, but I don't recommend wearing them during the day. These actually turn into sunglasses when you go outside. And so I wear these when I do go outside, and they, they ch- change into sunglasses, and then they'll change back to blue blockers when I come inside. So I can wear these all the time. But, yeah, I don't really know what happened in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> A lot happened in the 80s. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so, yeah, because I like that too where you say you can have a milder tint if you wear prescription glasses or even if you don't have prescription glasses if you wanted to. Because um, I, I think of the majority of people at the end of the day, and the majority are office workers who work, who work on some sort of modern device that has a screen. So I kind of think uh, there's a huge proportion of people that can benefit from wearing this. Yeah, I agree. And we, we are just coming out with our blue blockers, which are the ones I have on. And we are actually going to try to maybe do some studies with some corporations here in America, maybe teams of like 100 just to see if it helps their pro- productivity, if it helps their work ethic, if it helps fatigue less. There's not a lot of studies out there that show that, but I feel it if it's placebo or not, mm. meaning that I don't know if it works or not, but I feel like it does. So I would rather get some some more concrete studies and really dive in with, you know, 100 to 200 to 500 person studies and really see if it does work. Because this, this is something I noticed that happens with myself. When I wear the blue blockers, I tend, I probably blink more. So I'd, I'm less prone to maybe if i work on a computer or look at the screen for too long and i'm concentrating i sort of forget to blink as much because i'm concentrating Mm -hmm. so hard so my eyes will get more red and puffy um but when i wear these glasses i think because my eyes are more relaxed from the glare i blink more is that am i getting that right yeah i mean you might because there's a no glare coating maybe on those and you're just you're not getting as much glare which means you're not fatiguing your eyes as much and you might just consciously blink more just because you're aware of it but that that actually goes to another problem with digital devices is that we don't blink as much when we're on them. 
therefore we're more likely to suffer eye strain and dry eye. And a physical page, when you're reading a book, you blink whenever you turn a page and you don't even realize it, but you don't get that on a digital device. And so, yeah, I mean, and I have a rule that I teach people when they're on their digital device. It's called the cheesy 20-20-20 rule. Every 20 minutes of online work or on computer work, just take 20 seconds to look at something 20 feet away or further. What that's going to do is just relax your eyes. Going back to the very first thing we talked about, focusing our eyes. We're focusing constantly when we're reading. And so when you're on your computer, you're constantly focusing your eyes. That's why when you go to look far away, everything's a little blurry because your eyes are stuck in that focusing state. And when you look far away, they have to relax back up again. And so I, I say every 20 minutes, just take 20 seconds to look at something 20 feet away or further. Mainly get up and walk around. That's mm -hmm. the main thing to do. Instead yes. of timer if you need to. And that brings me also thinking um, with eye exercises. So this must be something you get asked all the time. But mm -hmm. um, people, when, they're try when they can feel they're losing some of that vision and they're getting more um, short-sighted and they're losing that long-distance vision or, and then there's a stage when it flips again. But, uh, you know, you'll have books and everything out there that says, oh, you can do these focus exercises or different ways of exercising your eye. Do you think they're a good idea? So by training, I, I'm supposed to say no to that. So um, in, in school, I learned that all those are kind of phony. Yeah. And, but now that I've been out in the world for eight years now, and I've been, I've been an optometrist for eight years, what I'm starting to see is that what we we're learning in Western medicine and what we're trained in, it, it's only 100 to 200 years old. So the, the see clearly method is what you're referring to. That was the big popular one. And all that, I haven't really done enough research on it to really see. And it, it is considered kind of bogus. And so I can't say that I'm for it or against it because I haven't done enough research for it to see it. But from my training, we say that it, it doesn't work. But then how come people swear by it? And how come people are have succeeded through it? And so it's I think it's a slower process, of course, than a quick fix of glasses, putting them on and seeing. I think it, it's going to take a lot longer. And I don't think it's going to work for everybody. And so glasses, the nice thing about those is you put them on, you can pretty much make anybody see as long as they don't have a disease. Whereas in those kind of methods, they're going to take a lot longer. And in the instant gratification society that we live in, it's going to be a lot harder for somebody to, to get behind that result because it takes longer, just like anything in health. If you want to see results, it's going to take a little while to get there because the problem that, that you have wasn't built in a day. It was built over years. And so getting back to that normal state is going to take you a while. And so I'm interested to see and explore it a little bit more. But from my Western medicine trained doctor hat, I will say no. But I, I tend to follow more Eastern medicine approaches now. And from that hat, I would say I want to explore it more. So mm -hmm. I can't say yes or no for it. Yeah, it's just because you brought it up how the typical advice is, you know, look away from your screen, look into the distance. And already that's a form of sort, sort of... Yes, it's relaxation, but it's exercise because you're you're changing mm -hmm. the way that the the muscles are functioning and the the lens. So, it and we, I, we yeah. go ahead. I was going to say we do um, vision therapy on patients that have trouble with that kind of relaxing and focusing, and we actually teach them how to do that over a course of exercises. Vision therapy is different than I think what we were referring to before. Vision therapy is just training your eyes to work together, training your eyes to focus better, and just training your eyes to work better in general. And we do that with mostly kids that have like learning disabilities and ADHD. It can usually just be an eye movement problem. 
And if we get their eyes to move together properly, then we can usually eliminate that problem that they're having. And maybe most people listening to this don't realize your eyes are actually an extension of your brain. It's brain tissue. Mm -hmm. Yep. You got the optic nerve. Uh Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, you're actually sort of in a funny way looking at someone's brain when you're looking at their eyes. I, I, that's what I tell kids is when I'm looking into the back of their eye, I tell them I can see part of their brain and it usually grosses them out enough to keep them interested enough too. Because <laughs> um, even the, uh, when you were talking about the eye movements, um, is it NLP, Neuro Linguistics Programming, where they sort of look in different eye directions to activate different parts of the brain ever come across that I, I haven't come across studies and that probably, I, I probably remember one class that we took that talked about that. And yeah, that was a long time ago. So um, I do remember one class talking about that, but it's, um, yeah, something that we didn't study extensively in school. Yeah. But, you wouldn't have to do that in, in general clinical practice anyway. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. But there, there are visual perceptual therapies that we do. And so kids that have problems with perception of the world and different visual perception problems, we do give them eye exercises to do to develop parts of the brain. So it's probably similar to that in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that is not my field of of knowledge. So I, I can't comment too much on that. <laughs> and you brought up um, a while back we, uh, the hydration as being one point. So I also think so many of us are dehydrated because we don't, um, you know, we're we're drinking diuretics, we're drinking coffees, teas, quite a lot, um, and maybe hot environments and not getting enough general good hydration. Um, do you see that as a symptom in the eye too? Oh, yeah, that's that, that goes back to dry eye, the biggest one. Um, hydration is one of the first steps I give to patients. I actually have an email series on dry eye, and, and you can get it at dryeyecommunity.com, and you just put your email address in and I think my first or second email is all about hydration and how important it is. And I go through what I do every morning to hydrate and to what I do before every meal. I, I drink a 16 to 20 ounce glass of water before every meal, right when I wake up and I call it hyperhydration, just keeping water with you at all times. Whenever you think about water, whenever you look at your water bottle, you just take a drink because that's your body subconsciously telling you, you need a drink right now. And so if you look at your water, like I'm thirsty right now, just thinking about it. Now I can't find my water bottle, but that's, it's so important. Hydration is for eye health and just your body in general. And I think studies show that 75 to 80% of people are dehydrated in this world. And it's just from what you said, people drink diet, Pepsi, Mountain Dew, coffee, teas, everything else, but water. And they think that I, I, people could get rid of their headaches, their fatigue, just by drinking water. You could Essentially, it's like doing an hour workout if you just stayed hydrated and you could burn like 30% more calories just from getting enough hydration and getting enough water intake. Mm. So I'm, I'm going to come back to uh, macular degeneration because I know that's your mm-hmm. focus. But before we get there, can we just touch on, the, uh, on a com- another common condition, uh, which are floaters in the eye? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so floaters are pretty common. And uh, many people freak out from them because it's different. It's something floating in your eye, literally. And so now we talked about the the colored part of your eye, and then you have the lens, and then you have this big space, and in the behind that space is where the macula is. And so in between the macula and the lens, there's this area called vitreous. And that vitreous is just a jelly. And that jelly is literally, it feels like an egg white. So, excuse me one second, I had something in my throat, but so that jelly, um, 
what happens is little protein and collagen start to form in that jelly and they just kind of hang out in the jelly. And so when you move your eyes, that jelly kind of sloshes around in there and it moves those clumps in there. So when light comes into your eye, it hits those clumps in that jelly and it casts a shadow on your retina and your retina is what captures light. And so essentially what you're seeing is a shadow of debris floating around in the jelly of your eye. And so you're going to see it more on a bright sunny day when you're looking up at the blue sky. You're going to see it more when you're looking at a white wall. And the reason is because more light's getting into your eye. So if it's a bright sunny day, just look up at the sky. Don't look at the sun, please. And just move your eye around and you'll start to see things floating in your vision. And that's just little protein and collagen clumps that are in your vitreous or the jelly in your eye. No, no harm. Um, if you notice that you have a sudden increase in them, like 20 to 30 new ones, get that checked out right away. That can be something else. But little ones here and there, nothing to really worry about. But 20 to 30 new ones or ones that are different colors like red and brown, get in right away and get those seen. Mm-hmm. Because I have also come across, um, I'm not sure if he was an optometrist or an ophthalmologist, but actually doing laser to help get rid of floaters. Have you come across that? I have. And um, I have sent maybe three patients in my career to have those eradicated through either laser or where they take out the vitreous jelly in the back and put in something else in place. And I don't recommend it just because the rewards for those procedures of getting rid of the floaters is not worth the risks that you're putting yourself through because what that that surgeon's doing is putting a high powered laser into your eye and so if he were to miss and by just a millimeter it's going to burn a hole wherever it hits and mm. so if it hits the retina we actually used we use the laser on the retina for other procedures or other conditions like diabetes when when bleeding occurs in the back of the eye from diabetes we use the laser to help with that. But what this surgeon is doing is it's, he's using it to eradicate the floaters, which is a, it's something that I wouldn't recommend unless it's driving you absolutely crazy. Mm, you've got this massive thing that just keeps bugging you or is disturbing you. I've, then I've, you might want to consider it, yeah. Yeah, I, I, when, I, when I saw it, I thought, well, your skill has got to be really good to be able to catch this thing that's moving in this fluid <laughs> too. Uh, and you don't want to go too far, yeah. I would not do it myself. <laughs> but even there, that would something like hydration levels influence like how many floaters you see or like how often you see them, do you think? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, nobody's, nobody really studies floaters just because there's no real problem with them. And so if there's no real problem in floaters, nobody's going to study them because there's no money to be made in it. And so you're not going to see studies on it. Um, I've heard patients say that if they stay hydrated, they don't see them as much. I, I'm thinking there's something else involved with that more than just the actual floaters themselves. And so hydration might play a different role. What it is, I, I'm not sure. Okay. So we'll get on to your favorite topic or one of your favorite topics, which is macular degeneration. If you could just, um, you, you already touched on it where, where you mentioned it was the, the breaking down of the macular part of the, mm-hmm. the eye. Um, what causes that? issue so you mentioned blue lights are there other common causes yeah i would say blue lights probably one of the least worrisome causes of, of macular degeneration number one cause is age it's called age-related macular degeneration for a reason because we do see it in an older population and females tend to get it more than males and i'm not really sure why that is what we think is that it's just because females live longer 
than males do. I think their average lifespan is like nine years longer than ours. And then um, diet and smoking is another big one. Smoking increases your risk four times that of a non-smoker. And then family history is a big one too. So if you have a family history of it, or if you've had gene mapping done like you have, and you have a risk factor for it, then you want to take all the preventative measures to do to make sure that you don't get it. And if I have a patient that asks me about, I have risk, I have macular degeneration in my family, what can I do to help? I tell them UV protection. So when you're outside, just protect yourself from the UV light. Um, blue light protection, so blue blockers just like what you're wearing. And then we talked extensively about diet. And we've talked about it a little bit before, the lutein and kale. Um, you just want to look for phytochemicals, the lutein, zeaxanthin, and astaxanthin. And so bright colored vegetables. So peppers that are yellow, red, and orange. Carrots, you've heard carrots are good for your eyes, that's why. And then lutein, kale, like I've said, or kale and spinach, like I've said over and over again. Because what we know is that the lutein and zeaxanthin, these are these pretty much sweep up free radicals throughout your whole body. And when free radicals build up in the macula, that's when macular degeneration starts to occur. And as we know, smoking increases free radicals. So therefore, smoking increases your risk four times that of a non-smoker, like I said earlier. And so taking these, these phytochemicals to scrape out the free radicals from your macula is really going to help with macular degeneration. So UV light, blue light, and then diet are the three ones. And then, of course, not smoking, but getting a smoker to stop smoking is one of the hardest things you can ever do as a practitioner. Mm -hmm. And there's two different types. You said that it says age-related macular degeneration, but then you get wet and dry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so dry is the form that you want if you had to choose one. Okay. So dry tends to progress slower. Um, both of them can cause devastating vision loss, but dry tends to progress a little slower. Whenever you have dry, you can progress to wet at any moment. Whenever you have wet, you have it. You have pretty much macular degeneration. The difference being is that wet is leaking blood. And so when blood has leaked into the area, that is wet. And there's pretty much no going back. That's the most severe form you can get. And that's when you're, you're going to start getting injections in the eye. And even injections are kind of controversial. And do I recommend injections? Of course, because it's standard of care right now. But if you look at supplementation and other things that can help out prevent wet macular degeneration, in our ocular health formula, we actually we followed the ARITS2 formula that was studied that I talked about earlier in the, in the podcast, but we actually added about four or five other different minerals and everything to help actually prevent bleeding from occurring. And so these are just natural substances that can, can prevent the bleeding from occurring. But wet versus dry is essentially just bleeding versus not bleeding. And so you don't want either, but if you, want, if you could choose one of them, dry would be the one to do. But there's no treatment for dry. There's treatment for wet, but you don't want wet because it's more severe. Okay. And because you meant, said it was bleeding, uh, patients who are, who are diabetic, because they have problems with the little capillaries at the back of their eye, mm -hmm. and they do bleed. So would they be more prone to something like this too? Yeah, so if you had a diabetic that was a macular degeneration suspect, they're definitely going to be more prone to that. Diabetes has a whole new sign of pro or a set of problems, though, because they can have pretty much any blood vessel that can bleed, and it's the same mechanism. And so the mechanism of action of this bleeding is just where our tissue is not getting enough oxygen because the blood isn't getting to it. So it's becoming 
hypoxic or it's not getting oxygen and it's dying. And so your body in response to this creates new blood vessels to grow into that area to provide it with oxygen. The problem is these new blood vessels that grow into that area are very fragile and they tend to leak blood. When blood gets outside the blood vessels and hits a tissue, it's actually toxic to that tissue. And so that's the problem that we're having is tissue is not getting oxygen. Body tries to compensate by putting blood vessels in. Those blood vessels leak, creating this kind of cascade of negativity. And that's why people go blind from macular degeneration and diabetes and high blood pressure is because your body's trying to correct itself from something you're doing wrong, but it doesn't do it in a good, good enough job. Hmm. And um, so you said the standard of care right now, once the patient, well, I, I guess maybe what I should do is step back a bit further there is that what, what are the symptoms that someone's going to feel? Is it just a vision? Because we've talked about age-related vision loss, but this is different, is it? Yeah, so your macula is your central vision. So if you're looking at something and you can usually see it really well, and this isn't just like your typical blurriness, and then all of a sudden when you're looking at something and it's pretty much completely blurry or it's even gone. So if macular degeneration, if it gets bad enough, it will actually create a black spot in your vision. The problem with that is though, is your brain has this incredible ability to cover up black spots in your vision. You actually have a natural black spot in your vision that you completely ignore at all times. But what you might notice is if you're looking at something on a page or you're looking at something like, let's say you're looking at like a grid pattern, like your blinds or something, mm. and you all of a sudden notice your blinds are wavy, that can be a sign of macular degeneration or bleeding occurring. And you just might notice that things just don't seem right. And the best thing to prevent all this stuff is just go get your eye exam every year. It's as simple as that. Because all of these eye diseases usually don't happen overnight. Some do, but most of them happen slowly over time. And so if we catch it early, we can start taking steps to prevent any further down the line permanent vision loss problems. Okay. And so when you were talking about the dry, this is something I, I've, I've um, had an interest in when I came across it years ago now. Uh, there's a company here in the UK called Thor Laser, and the CEO of that company mentioned how he started up a, another company um, to do with photobiomodulation. Do you know photobiomodulation? Have you come across that? So like I'm light... Guess- Go ahead and explain it real quick and then I'll... Yeah, yeah so photobiomodulation is when you use light to change something in your body, like red light, like red light therapy, low-level laser therapy, so non-burning. Um, so that's photobiomodulation. But what I found fascinating was he, um, the, he started up a company called Lumathera, and what's exciting about this is they're doing clinical trials for dry AMD using just light that shines into your eye to help bring vision back. I don't know if you've ever come across that. I have not. And so that's that's pretty interesting. You said their company is called Luma Therapeutics? Oh, L- Lumathera. So if you if you type yep. in into Google, I guess, like photobiomodulation for dry AMD or just um, um, AMD, age-related macular degeneration, you'll come across them. But um, when you were saying how, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool where science is going, I really... I thought this was very cool to think, wow, we're just using low levels of light for a very common, very common vision loss. And um, it seems to be some of the clinical studies look very promising so far. So I didn't know if this was disseminating into the optometry world. I haven't learned a lot about it, but I'm reading about it right now and it's pretty interesting. It's essentially using the opposite of 
end of the light spectrum, so blue light, very high energy light, and we're, what they're doing is infrared, which is the exact opposite, which is low energy light. So pretty interesting to see. I mean, it, it is medicine is that simple. I mean, we just figure out what's causing the problem and try to figure out how to go back and reverse it. So yeah, that's a pretty interesting. I'm, I'm looking at it right now and it looks pretty interesting. Cool. A little bit of extra reading for you. <laughs> yeah, uh, thanks. But yeah, but yeah, it's all about, I guess, at the end of the day, um, with eye health, it's wavelengths and just light and the energy that comes from that light and what the different spectrums are doing to it. Um, you mentioned don't staring at, at the sun because this is one of the questions I want to ask was that pe- you do get people who practice sun gazing. And actually, yeah. um, Ivan, who's, who's my podcast editor, who's going to be listening to this now, he practiced sun gazing. And um, he found that it improved his vision where his prescription went down. It, 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 he didn't need as strong a prescription glasses anymore. But um, the key was, you know, looking, um, sort of relaxing your eyes, look into the sun as it's setting, not sun as it's rising or midday sun. Do you think, yeah, it's safe to sort of stare at, at a sun that is setting? Um, a sun that is setting is much better than a sun that is way up in the sky. And the reason I say that the, the setting sun is a little less, essentially what they're doing with sun gazing is they're just blurring their eyes. They're relaxing them to a point where they're not working anything and it's creating what's called peripheral defocus. And peripheral defocus is just where the peripheral vision is out of focus. And we're actually doing studies that I'm not, but the schools are where they wear a contact lens overnight. It reshapes the front of your eye. And then it creates this peripheral defocus throughout the day when you're when you're just walking around. It corrects your vision, but then it also creates peripheral defocus, which then decreases the amount of nearsightedness you have over time by about sixty six percent. Now it sounds like your your editor is getting rid of it completely, which is pretty cool. He's actually reversing it. And so sun gazing, I don't know exactly as far as if it helps with nearsightedness or not. If he swears by it, then that's great. I mean, that it's great that it works. Looking at the sun, though, I can comment on that and just mm-hmm. make sure you don't do it in the middle of the day. Think about when you take a magnifying glass and harness the sun's energy, you can create a fire. The problem is your, your eye can do that naturally. So you can focus the lens of your eye so the sun gets powered right onto your macula and it can burn a hole in your macula. I've had four patients that I've seen this. And they literally burnt their macula, and now they have a hole in their vision permanently for life because they were looking at the sun at the top of the sky. And so don't look at it and try not to focus on it. A setting sun is okay. It's, it's, it's better because the energy level isn't, as, isn't there as much. But I think a key thing to remember is if the sky is still blue, that means it's at its high energy state. And so when the sun is setting, you get all the other colors. Mm then it's usually at a lower energy state at that time. So I'm not going to say anything about it just because I don't know enough about sun gazing as far as the the concept of it itself, but I'll just say my two cents about looking at the sun. Well, I mean, that's great advice. Yeah, um, you definitely can damage your vision from the power of the sun. But I like that idea that you're saying that potentially what we're looking at here is that it's that peripheral, What did you, how did you mention it, peripheral? Per- peripheral defocus is what all studies for preventing the progression of nearsightedness are going into is that so peripheral is that, defocus is that sort of like coming back again where you said look away from the screen and just relax your eyes is that yeah peripheral I mean, defocus just, 
So peripheral defocus is, is literally the periphery of your vision being out of focus. And so it's hard to simulate it on your own. And do you remember those magic eyes? Mm. I don't know if you guys had the, those. But the, the books where you had to relax your eyes to see a 3D vision. That's exactly what you're doing. And so you're, you're kind of defocusing everything in, in those. You're defocusing even the central part of your eye. But so peripheral defocus is just as you're looking at me, your periphery vision is everything out, out to the side. And so that is not focused anymore. And studies are starting to show that that is causing nearsightedness to lessen. Wow. Okay. So actually being able to relax that out there means that yeah, you're, you're improving your, your eye. Just comes yeah. back again. Yeah, you got to chill out a little bit. Chill your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and 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 so the opposite's true too. What we're finding is that when people are on their phones and computers so much, that it's actually causing their nearsightedness to get worse faster. And we think that's because they're constantly focusing their eyes on the computer. And so there is no defocus; they are focused. That makes sense. Mm, okay, so we actually need to practice defocus too, in a way. Yeah, just. Just relax. Look, go play outside. That's what we tell kids. Mm-hmm. Just go play outside because studies are also showing that if you go play outside, your, your nearsightedness goes down too. Yeah, cool. Well, we're, we're coming up for an hour now, and um, but I've just loved this. There's been so many fantastic uh, hint tips here and just great topics for general health. And um, what I love, you know, Travis, my goal with the show is always to share information that people can take action on today. They can make an informed consent decision what they want to do. And I think you've shared so many fantastic little knowledge bombs again today, which has been brilliant. Thank you so much for, for doing that. Yeah. How, how can people keep in contact with you? Or you say you do online health coaching. Mate, this is the time to share your links. Yeah, so thanks for allowing me to do this too. Um, easiest way to contact us is my wife and I are both eye doctors. So if you get on Facebook and look for the Dry Eye Syndrome Support Community, Essentially, just put in dry eye into the search of Facebook and you should be able to find us. But we're in there interacting daily. We actually do a Facebook Live every Sunday at 5 p.m. and answer any questions you have on dry eye, blepharitis, or if you have any questions on eye health in general, we're there live to answer them. So we have a lot of fun doing that. The community is growing exponentially. We're at about 3,300 members and growing. And so search dry eye syndrome support community or just search dry eye on Facebook. That's the easiest way to get a hold of us. Um, our, our website is ilovethesun.com. Our company name is ilove, and that's E-Y-E, lovethesun.com. We have blue blockers, sunglasses, and then what we mainly focus on is dry eye. And so anything dry eye related, most of our products are very natural. And where are most of your listeners based? Uh, it's When I look at my statistics, it's all over the world. So it's U.S., oh, cool. U.K., um, Australia, yeah, all over. Cool. So, yeah, we, we mostly... Every launch that we have for our products is U.S.-based first, and then U.K. is our second launch. We only have a few products over in the U.K. right now, but we're actually getting a, a couple more over there this year, and then they're going to be more dry eye related because we have quite a following of U.K. patients or U.K. people in our Facebook group. So, yeah, Facebook's the easiest way to find me, and it's Dr. Travis Ziegler. If you want to find me on Facebook, too, you can follow me there. Okay. Well, I'll put all these links also in the show notes on your episode page for everyone to, um, to click on. All right. Well, thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks.